Welcome to episode six of Highway to Well. We're talking today to the great adventurer and wellness leader, Corey Hawk. Corey is the head of the School of Health Promotion and Human Development, Associate Dean of the College of Professional Studies, and Associate Professor in the School of Health Promotion and Wellness at the University of Wisconsin-Stevens Point. Corey's work involves changing the lives of people and supporting them in living vibrantly. I'm really excited for this podcast. We're going to chat today and dive into that change process and examine where we think the future in wellness lies. And at the end, we're really going to try and figure out when it's best to blast some ACDC. Thank you again for listening. Let's go. All right, Corey, we got it right this time. All right, let's go. Bars are moving correctly. We're ready. We're ready to hit the highway to well, and you're on your way to Canada for your own highway to well. I am. Here, as soon as we get done here, you you're loaded, locked and loaded, ready to hit the tra- trails north to the Great White North to discover the greatness of your soul's journey. <laughs> My vacation started this morning. <laughs> I, well, I'm, I'm glad ha- that this is a part of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're we're on the the highway to Well, and for me that means the highway to Muskies. <laughs> uh, we're going up to Canada, Lake of the Woods. And How far is that? It'll be about a eight hour trip from. It's not bad. Yeah, from Central Wisconsin, and you know it's it's not like you're rushing because we're we're not. We're not going to hit the water and fish today. Yeah, uh, we're going to drive up to Baudette, which is right on the border. Grab dinner. There's a group of nine of us. Oh wow! Yeah, grab dinner, maybe a, <laughs> a little beverage, and and have some fun up there. We have a little tradition of of the night before <laughs> the dinner, and then we get up early and and the fun begins. The last supper before the fishing starts. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> I love it. And you you have a long. So you have a long history with muskies, a rich history with muskies that you've you've gone and you've done well for yourself as a muskie hunter. Yeah, and that's truly what it is. It's it's hunting. <laughs> it's it's a little different than fishing. I, I think a lot of people envision fishing as, you know, sitting down in a boat, uh, you know, jigging or casting, um, and just hoping to get lucky and have a fish bite. Uh, where you know muskies are very temperamental and you're looking for you know they say there's maybe a half a fish per acre meaning there aren't many of them so mm-hmm. you really have to search around for them and you have to um, entice them into following and or hitting your lure mm-hmm. so it's it's a it's a challenge yeah and and I think that's what it what excites me you you really have to think about the conditions and the weather and and their behavior and where they're at different times of the year and and it's a true trophy fish I mean there are trophies in all species but this is the biggest fish that exists in the waters up here yeah so um, you know my my passion for fishing started when I was down in Arizona um, you know I I just missed the water. I missed the North Woods. 
And, and so when I got back, I was just so happy to be back on the water and I, I wasn't playing sports anymore and I could dedicate more of my off time to fishing. Yeah. Yeah. So after that, you know, I just, I continue to pursue a, a passion and, and it almost kind of has become an addiction now. <laughs> <laughs> well, and like you said, it's a spiritual connection for you yep. and you've, you've applied and we were, you're telling me that you had applied all the skills you learned as a graduate student into developing yourself into the finest musky hunter in, in this area. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's funny you bring that up and I, you know, I, I, I didn't make a connection until later in life. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, so I went to graduate school at Arizona state university. Mm -hmm. So I, I grew up in Minnesota, uh, played hockey. That's just, just what you do there. Yeah. You know, uh, the, the state of hockey, as they say. <laughs> and, uh, I didn't have a whole lot of time for fishing or many other sports. I mean, I played recreational baseball, enjoyed golf. Sure. Uh, but it was pretty much year-round hockey. I dedicated my life to hockey. I started playing when I was three or four years old, and uh, and so when I when I, I got my master's at the University of Minnesota, and did my undergrad at St. John's, played hockey there, and and then I realized I'm ready for something different. Yeah. And I headed down to the desert <laughs> <laughs> uh, to explore Arizona State before I decided to pull the trigger on that. And I, I really didn't look at the weather or the the topography of the state you know I, I really didn't know if it was the home of the grand canyon to be honest with you <laughs> I, I had a friend who lived down there i was looking for something different it was california was pretty expensive at the time i didn't really want to go to texas and so i headed down to the desert and after i i finished meeting my my future mentor i figured mm -hmm. i'm it's time to explore <clears throat> i want to borrow my friend's car yeah. and drive to the grand canyon and uh and so we, we did that. We, we took the Honda Accord, we drove north, we, we enjoyed the mountains, and then we hit Flagstaff, Arizona, and they, they got just absolutely dumped on with snow. They had two feet of snow the night before, Man. and we barely got through. We were slipping and sliding, barely got through the roads, <laughs> made it to the Grand Canyon, and my jaw just dropped, you know, and it was just, I just fell in love with the mountains and hiking potential and mountain biking. And so I, needless to say, I went down to Arizona State <laughs> and spent three years of my life down there, explored every mountain, every trail I could possibly get to and had a blast. But the one thing that was missing, I think, was the the greenery of the trees and the water. Yeah. That connection to the North Woods. Um, and so when I I decided to look for jobs after my uh, doctoral program was over and look for jobs that were in the Northwoods. And I, you know, I, the University of Wisconsin Stevens Point is known for wellness, mm -hmm. um, as well Rich as- Rich history and wellness. Yeah, as well as, well, natural resources outside yeah. my field. But um, so I, <clears throat> I, I heard from uh, one of my colleagues who's working at the National Institute of Health, he's like, oh, they have a faculty position op open and, and I honestly, I didn't know mm -hmm. that they had the legacy of wellness. I didn't know who they <clears> were, but I saw that it was two hours from my parents' <laughs> cabin. And I was like, oh, this is very exciting. So I flew in and saw turkeys on the runway. That's, so you know your home. Yep. And I'm like, ooh, there's uh, wildlife pretty close. Uh, <laughs> basically right on the on the runway and, and uh, the people at the university were just so nice. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, 
you know, I thankfully I was um, offered the job at Stevens Point. I've been here for 11 years. And as a faculty member, um, you do have the autonomy to decide a little bit of, of what you teach and when you teach. Mm-hmm. And you can decide when you want to teach regarding the summer or not. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was like, you know what? The first few years, I'm not going to teach in the summer, and I'm going to learn about fishing and musky fishing. <laughs> so I, I went to libraries. I like so. This is a long story. I, I apologize. Yeah, <laughs> but that's what we're here for. Okay. So this is where I began to use the skills <clears throat> I learned as a mm-hmm. graduate of um, you know five years. Of, of education beyond uh, my bachelor's. You know, you're taught critical thinking, mm-hmm. you're taught um, how to analyze things, how to look in, go to the library and look up a subject. Um, and so I used those skills. Mm-hmm. I, I was very analytical. Um, and so I went to the library, found all the books I can find on musky fishing, read up, strategies by uh, Hall of Fame fishermen. I watched videos. I spent time on the water. I explored different lures. I connected with fishermen. I fished with them. I learned there's the trade and the skills and oh, I, I just quickly developed. Mm-hmm. And um, what I lacked was experience. And then through circumstance, I encountered someone at a musky expo. <laughs> Nate Ospar is his name. I'll give him props. Um, he had a lot of experience and he was uh-huh. a very talented angler. Um, and so we kind of combined our our um, skills and traits and formed a really solid team. And we started um, winning tournaments the first year <laughs> and uh, and even won the musky fishing championship one year. So we kind of, we got on a hot ride. Uh, and, uh, and so, this, you know, ever since that time, you know, it's musky fishing's tough. It'll, it'll beat you up. Mm-hmm. You know, there'll be several days where you might not see a fish or you could go a month without catching one. Some people, they go five years without catching one. Mm-hmm. You know, they say it's the fish of 10,000 casts for some, it's maybe a thousand or 500 and others it's the fish of a lifetime yeah you know so it's fun chasing that you know that that rush that adrenaline rush it's fun chasing down what you think is the biggest fish of your lifetime it can happen on any cast Mm -hmm. really i mean they just kind of emerge and 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 so this is we spent quite a bit of time talking about fishing (laughs) but uh uh so Yeah. yeah i mean that that's just uh, really what I like to do to, you know, to, to enjoy my leisure time. And so we're going up to Canada. I can spend it with my father, uh, some of my good friends. And, and um, you know, it all starts with a road trip. Yeah. You know, the eight hours catching up, talking smart, um, <laughs> you know, just hearing about work and life and relationships and, um, you know, sometimes just talking about meaningless stuff too you know it's just mm-hmm. time together it's quality time and and uh you know sometimes on weekends if you if you just hang out with somebody for a few hours you're not really getting out of that that work mode and i think sometimes you're a little distracted mm-hmm. sometimes when you're with people so when you go up on these long road trips and these big vacations it it's so easy to just be truly present mm-hmm. and and be with each other and you know, the fishing is a big part of it, but I would say the, you know, the quality time and, 
and the just the pure enjoyment of the environment and and the people and the connection. I so that's what I do it for. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that ties. You know, and we we've spent a long you know between your years of experience, my years of experience in the wellness field. I mean, you know, we always come back to we can have our academic ideas about and research on um, efficacy of different interventions and different different ways and pathways for people to live a well life. But but it it always comes back to connectedness. And like there are some key things that are part of, it doesn't matter what your wellness model is um, and what your wellness strategies are, if they lack the opportunity for connection, that's that you're not fulfilling likely a lot of other things that you need to, you know? And so there's a couple of things with fishing for you. Like you, like you said, if, if you, if you stay local and you're just talking to someone, it's different than being part of the community where you have the shared objective, but you're sharing time together. You're somewhat captive in a car, but you're, it's the connection of the experience. There's a, there's a complex layer there at work that I don't, you know, it's oftentimes we overlook that and we don't even talk about it, but those, those are critical things. Those are really critical things for us to have a, a well life, to live our best life is often usually tied to those experiences less so than the ultimate activity or whatever achievement that we're looking for. And, you know, and so for all the time that you spent on developing your skills as a muskie hunter, you're really probably developing your skills as a connection as a glue part of this community of people that have this shared experience and everyone enjoys it so much that it's so important to them it's integral to who they are which is that spiritual journey that we're all on but but the the connection point for us is often distant and that's where we find people who are struggling with life in some capacity is that they're they they don't have a sense of fulfillment in something that they're doing you know, and that's oftentimes tied to something that is that supports a lot of our wellness things that we like to talk about are tied into those, whether that's musky fishing, you know, musky hunting for you. You know, I I found that um, for me, a lot of it and it was interesting as a as a young player. So we both grew up playing sports and at a very high competitive levels and played in a college in that collegiate in that competitive environment. Um, and when I transitioned to a coach. I didn't realize early on as a coach how important a, a wellness, a, a mindfulness of, of wellness strategies was a part of my coaching. And as, as I grew as a coach, I started understanding in greater detail how important a having a sense of what wellness is made me a better coach in, in a lot of different ways. And I didn't tie that early on in my co- My coaching was very exo technical, tactical, we play the game, then everyone leaves, you know, but I was dismissing even my own spiritual journey with the game. Uh, For me, soccer was never just about X's and O's. It was always about testing myself, performing, building skills and learning how to do something, but also being resilient and being able to be good in bad situations and be a good teammate and learn all that stuff. And so, um, so you know, when we start talking about sometimes things like our, our activities, if they're tied to our core, then the significance of them says a lot about how we're living a well life. 
And so when we're doing our behavior change practices and we're, we're supposed to be helping people make their lives better in, in the wellness field in general, how we're doing it then is, then comes back to a lot of conversations about what, what is your why and what is your, at your core, what do you like to do? Who do you think you, who do you like almost a question of who do you think you are? And what do you, what does it take to be the best part of that kind of person that you see yourself as and how important is that to you? I always think that that's, that's one of those things that is always great when I hear people talking about the things they love. It's, it's tied to those deeply significant, important parts of your soul. So that time with your dad is an incredibly part of the musky hunt. And if you didn't have that, how would, how would that be different for you in some capacity? You know, or you feel less fulfilled by the experience without having that too. You know, those are things that, that I appreciate. And, you know, like you mentioned, your, yeah, when you came to Stevens Point, then you real you know, you came, you came into a program and a, and a tradition that has been here forever, for a very long time. And, and I worked at the National Wellness Institute for 10 years, which was one of those birthing places of a lot of the concepts in the field at the National Wellness Conference. And I had no idea about that either when I moved to Stevens Point and then happened upon it um, and fell in love with the experience and growing in the field. Now that you're now you're the chair of the department and you have the opportunity to help usher in a direction for the field too and bring in ideas. So I wanted to ask you a couple of things about that. So how do you, how do you, how do you think the definite, what is your definition of wellness and maybe how has that changed as you've grown in the field to where you feel like it is today? And then what, what do you feel like are areas that we need to grow? Like what is, what has been missing in that mainly, maybe in the academic setting, but maybe not, maybe it's, maybe it's bigger than that too. But where do you think the field needs to go to continue to be a a significant force in the lives of people? Yes. That's a, that's a really good question. Um, oh, well, there were several questions there. <laughs> I, know, I just rattled and, on. For right, a couple well, minutes. yeah, I mean that uh, so much of what you said, I, you know, I was looking forward to, um, I, I guess responding to, mm-hmm. but we'll start with your first question. You know, what does wellness mean to me? And that, that's such an awesome question because wellness can be very individualized. I ask that same question, you know, I, I facilitate a lot of workshops and yep. obviously teach a lot of classes. And that's almost how I, I start pretty much every workshop in class with that question. What does wellness mean to you? And the, and the students or the participants who truly reflect on it, you get a lot of unique responses. Uh, sometimes, you know, you just get that it's a balance. Um, it's about being happy. It's about being healthy. <laughs> Uh, but those who reflect, you get some really interesting answers, and and that brings out the uniqueness and the inclusivity of, of wellness. Mm-hmm. It can be so diverse. Um, and that's also why it's really hard to define and why we don't really have a universally accepted definition of wellness. Now, mm-hmm. there are some definitions presented by national orgs, um, but there are professionals in the field who still have their own differing uh, definition of wellness. So, um, rather than giving you an academic definition, a personal definition of wellness, 
I'll just share a little bit of my philosophy and 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 that's perfect. Yeah, well, it it just it's a little bit more conducive to a podcast. <laughs> too. Uh, so for me, wellness is like I said, it's it's personalized, it's unique, but most importantly, it's it's proactive, and it's an understanding that you're on a journey that it's mm-hmm. a, that it's truly a process. So health, you know, is, is really focused on a lot of people as an outcome. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's weight, it's uh, diabetes, the, the presence or absence of a disease, you know. Yep. Um, you know, it can be mental health, like are you, are you sick, you know. Um, some people struggle to define what health is truly. Mm-hmm. Um, so wellness to me is, it it's, doesn't really matter what your health status is. It doesn't really matter what your race is. It doesn't matter what your social economic status is. It doesn't matter what your age is. Um, doesn't matter if you're bi, hetero, homo. It 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 really is truly about the process and the decisions you make every day. Um, I I think what wellness, the future wellness is, it's about getting people to understand that they can take control regardless of where they're at. Um, so it's really about empowering them. So you asked about the future of our program. The future of our program needs to be more about uh, promotion and empowerment. And by promotion, I don't mean like, you know, sales or um, a public health standpoint of, of promotion. It It's a little bit more about empowerment. How do we get people to prioritize their health? Okay. Um, I think what's happening is it's not really on people's radar until something negative happens. Mm -hmm. And for some cases, it's too late. You Mm -hmm. know, one out of three heart attacks are fatal. One out of five strokes are fatal. So for a large percentage of the population, when something happens, it's too late. Mm -hmm. Or if they survive, the damage is so devastating that it's really challenging for them to return to a, a, a quality of life that they would really prefer. So um, that's that's the big challenge. How can we um, empower people to prioritize health to the point of where they can make decisions that positively impact their health and wellness? And what we're finding is if you just say prioritize your health or focus on health outcomes, that that just doesn't get the job done. No. Yeah, and we've been trying that for years. And, and our, some people and, are still trying it hard. Right, <laughs> and, and our health outcomes continue to be where they're at. So how can we do things differently? You know, everyone says, well, intrinsic motivation is, is critical, right? So, and then, you know, you hear a lot of people say, well, what is, what's really the issue? Why can't we just focus on that? Is it, is it physical activity? Is it healthy eating? Is it stress management? Is it uh, something else like finances? You know, let's narrow this down and really truly invest resources and figure this out. Well, the problem is it's yes, 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 yes. yes. And it's very individualized mm-hmm. and it's very specific to a community. It's very specific to a region. It's specific to a culture. There are so many issues at play and so many variables. So, um, 
you know, people are very complex. <laughs> Behavior change is very complex. And so I think the, the, you know, yes, we can educate people about the decisions they make and how they can impact their health. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But I, I think the key is to try to empower the, them to do things so that it helps them with the things they care about. For example, um, if you move more, can it help you in your job performance? Can it help you be more empathetic in your relationships? Meaning, you know, your, your stress levels are reduced, so therefore you're more authentically engaged with the people you communicate with. Um, you know, so not going to that level, but you know, taking a different perspective. Uh, is it more about human performance? Is it about finding that fulfilling life? You know, um, I think the National Wellness Institute calls it a uh, successful existence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in their yeah. definition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's true from an academic standpoint, but I, I think what people are looking for is, regardless of their situation, how can they gain control and make good decisions it's a life. It's about life management. That's what wellness mm-hmm. is. It's a process. How can you make good decisions every day? Now, wellness is a four point. They they estimated at about a four point one trillion dollar industry worldwide, mm-hmm. and people know that people are looking for a quick fix. Oh yeah. Yeah, and they've leveraged the heck out of that, you know? It's been co-opted and <laughs> yeah. Gwyneth Paltrowed to a degree that's challenging. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, people are, they're looking for convenience. They're looking for a quick fix. Um, and so when when something happens, you know, an, a negative thing or, you know, when, when it reaches a critical threshold and they decide they want to do something, they turn to the internet oftentimes mm-hmm. or somebody they trust and respect and that person was looking on the internet. Right. And I think people are, you know, they, they find the thing that has paid the most money to move right up the, the Google ranking. Mm-hmm. So when you search for something, usually the convenient, less healthy option will pop up first. Mm-hmm. And, and so what does that mean? That means that people are often finding and using things that aren't sustainable. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, they're always looking for that. The, the wellness world is always looking for that next best thing that mm-hmm. will market real well. And, um, you know, just eating more fruits and vegetables and walking more, that's really hard to market well. And that's yeah. really not what people are looking for. And I'm not saying it's that easy to be well. And that's just the, the physical, really, aspect right. of, of wellness. But so the, the challenge is then... How can we empower people and how can we teach future health professionals to uh, promote effectively? Yeah. So, so that we can level the playing field because, uh, you know, the the quick fixers are dominating the marketing world. Yeah. 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 Well, I think that so and I think this has been one of those things that have been on. I've been thinking about for a very long time since. I mean, I was working at the National Wellness Institute, there was always this sense of like, in, in their definition, the successful existence was always a little, I, I didn't fully believe that that's what was really meant because 
if the, by that it being someone in poor health, can they live a well life or not? And we, you talked about that, but also there's this whole part of the choice mechanism that I've wanted to continue to talk about and study and think about is and not, not, um, I, when I say choice mechanism, what I mean is that the, we talk about making successful choices and people choosing, and you're pointing at something that is absolutely the biggest challenge of all is our cultural hegemony regarding wellness is so messed up for people like us to talk about wellness, because as soon as we mention the word wellness, how many people think nutrition, exercise, that's when they think of wellness, they're focused on that. And then they, like you said, and this was something I talked about, I met with the wellness leadership at Walmart a couple years ago about a wellness program they had designed, which was somewhat brilliant of a, it was a 30 day personal health journey. And it was, and, and there were different components to it that people could to check off if they completed like financial nutrition. It had some of the traditional notions of wellness, but at the end there was a opportunity for them to write about their story. That's different. That's a little different than oftentimes our traditional approaches. And they didn't anticipate a lot of people participating. They ended up with thousands of people participating. And, and then they built a website with videos that showed people making sustainable life change that was started, sparked by this 30 day program that was really about their, their individual soul's journey. And that concept of people following people was what they themed their, their, they needed to build something where people could follow others. So that works if you're in somewhat of a controlled environment. But the people we often are dealing with are not in that controlled environment. They're on the internet looking for those quick fixes. And, and so you have this sense-making part of their brain, which is not focused on, first of all, a real sense of what wellness is and what And then second of all, they're usually not asking themselves, why am I doing this? What is it about this change I'm seeking that means so much to me? It's, you know, is is it the five pounds or is it a desire to lose weight so that I can play more with my kids or to be healthy enough to make it to my daughter or granddaughter's wedding? Like we need to dig into those stories. But then also when we start talking about choice making is, like, and this was part of the process. This has been in my mind about it the whole time is choice in and of itself is so complex because of people coming from different environments and having different access points and access alone is such a critical piece in the entire wellness picture of how someone is, what choices are they making? Can they, do they even see the opportunity for a healthier choice or a more active choice or a vibrant, something that means something to them or are they so bogged down in an environment and their access is minimal that they're not able to make the choices and like the best example or at least one of the best examples and I'm sure you've got thousands of these but you and I worked on a program a few years ago in in Wood County here locally that there were uh, we had kids that were in second third and fourth grade and for some of them you know being a wellness program we were introducing them to vegetables for some of them, it was the first time they had ever seen broccoli. So they're in second, third, and fourth grades, and they've never eaten or tried some of these vegetables that we think are fairly common and we have access to. And after six weeks or eight weeks of them learning, they understand now the health benefits. So their awareness point is high, but they were still going home to environments where the value of it wasn't appreciated or was the access point wasn't there, or they lived, you know, they had 
economic, socioeconomic conditions that didn't allow them to have the same set of choices that we often get or, you know, or we think about. And so that whole in decision-making process and wellness, I think is so complex. And I feel like a lot of times we overlook it initially and we assume you understand all of the good, you know, you understand the good and the key is getting you there. But even there, I'm not sure, you know, I'd like to dig, I guess ultimately is I'd love for us to continue to dig into that choice making process and look at the hegemony of the worldviews and how we can break those. And like you said, the next generation of wellness professionals need to promote what we're talking about as much as the tactics and strategies for behavior change, but be the, the advocates for what we talk about when we talk about wellness and try to change the course of what it is that people think about when they're thinking about wellness. Yeah, and the, the other com- key component to wellness um, that I didn't mention that I feel really strongly about is the concept of self-efficacy. Mm-hmm. And you're absolutely right, and the example you provided it was spot on, such that you know, is someone likely going to eat vegetables? If, if you were to tell this child you're, you need to eat more vegetables, um, they, they're not likely going to do it. They don't know what vegetables they like. Mm-hmm. They don't know where to get them and so on and so forth. So, so the reason why self-efficacy is so important for children, adults, everybody is if, if there's a champion, if there's an advocate, if there's just somebody to expose them to this other choice, to this healthy choice, to this choice that can be connected to something they feel strongly about mm-hmm. um, not just once but over time they will develop confidence in their ability to make that choice mm-hmm. and then wow you know they do it a few times suddenly it becomes a habit mm-hmm. then then you're set um, and, and that's that's so ultimately I think part of behavior change is helping people establish healthy habits. Um, but that requires time to just stop and think and reflect mm-hmm. on what your habits are and what you choose to do every day. And and some people don't do that. They get so caught up in the day-to-day um, rush that they just assume the things they do are just kind of what they have to do. Yeah. And... And so that's speaking a little bit to your, your point about choice making. Um, and, and, you know, we can talk about health equity and social determinants of health mm-hmm. and some of that in a second. But I, I think this is important. Uh, and I, I think this is what our future health professionals will do is, is more of them will be trained in health coaching and mm-hmm. being health advocates and, and just realizing that they can influence people and, and empower people in a variety of ways. They can do it as a professional, but they can also uh, empower people by being a good example in their day-to-day lives mm-hmm. and, and helping expose people to things. And, and also going back to your point, I've, I've known for a long time that if, if you want people to adopt healthy behaviors and they don't prioritize health, then you have to figure out what they prioritize. Right. And so I did a little research and I'm, I'm also kind of starting my own side business, um, linking people's passions with, with health. Mm-hmm. So since my passion is fishing, which we already covered, 
Um, I did a little research and found that fishing is the number three most common leisure time activity only behind running and biking. Now you see men's running magazine, women's running, you know, like there's mainstream publications informing people about how to be healthy to run better. Uh, You don't see a fitness magazine for fishermen. Mm -mm. (laughs) (laughs) Now, again, that perception often is, you know, you sit in a boat and you just kind of, you have a bobber floating. Mm -hmm. But the the guides and the serious fishermen, those who do it for a living, their body is the most important tool they have. Yeah. And they have to take care of themselves or they they have no longevity. And it's not just about longevity. It's it's also just time on the water. Mm -hmm. If you can spend more time in the water any given day, more casts should yield more production. Mm -hmm. So that's just an example of how I've leveraged the passion of the fishing industry to uh, promote fitness and wellness. Now, I got to admit, like I haven't launched yet, mm-hmm. but what I'm hearing is that it can be successful now. The fishing industry might be hard to break into, uh, but something like hiking mm-hmm. could, could be another one that I'm working on. So I've I've led people through the Grand Canyon, um, kind of serving as a guide for adventure tours, which is a program at UWSP. Um, so our school, the School of Health Promotion Human Development, we host or house um, a program called Adventure Tours. It's been in existence for 36 years, and it's for the general public. Uh, and we have predominantly faculty and retired faculty and staff who um, run programs as trip leaders for the public. Mm-hmm. And, and we go all over the world. And so I figured, why not share my love for the the Grand Canyon with, <laughs> with uh, trips. And, you know, a lot of people, this is around the time the movie The Bucket List came out. You know, this oh, is yeah. like 2008, 2010. And so everyone's like, I've always had that on my bucket list. <laughs> and, and um, yeah, so I, I put together a training program to help the participants prepare for hiking the Grand Canyon, which I don't know if you're, you know, maybe not all the listeners are familiar with it. it to go from rim to rim at the widest point of the Grand Canyon where there's a trail. Uh, it's about 20, 20 to 24 miles, depending on which trails you take. Mm-hmm. But the tricky thing is, unlike a mountain where you start going up and then you come down, you start g- with the decline. Mm-hmm. You go down about 7,000 feet, uh, six, 7,000 feet, somewhere in there, depending on kind of which trail you start at yeah. um, and how high the, the rim is. And it's a unique uh, taxing on the body such that, you know, it's your knees have to hold up and your joints and, you know, it's that eccentric loading for six to eight to 10 hours straight. That is a very unique experience and you have to prepare your body for. And then um, not only that, but the change of altitude. Yeah. And the change in temperature. Uh, when we usually go May, June, it can be 70, 75 on the ramp. Beautiful, you know, and then you get down in the canyon. It could be 130 degrees, 120 in the shade, 130 in the sun. That is crazy. And so dry, you know, so you don't even think you're sweating, mm-hmm. but you're losing so much water. So, yeah. so anyway, I put together a training, uh, kind of like a manual 
for hydration, for training, for food, and and the participants loved it. And then they also want to know, is my training, is my current fitness status good enough to hike through the Grand Canyon? Yeah. So I kind of developed a little bit of a screening tool. So anyway, I I think if our participants like it, I, I'm guessing there will be other people in the in the world who yeah. also find this beneficial. Now the challenge is again, promoting it, marketing it. How do you get yourself out there so that people can find it, but leveraging that passion. Yeah. You know, and, and, and so they're, what you're kind of hoping is, you know, if that's their passion and that's what they love to do, then they'll do what they need to do to do that better. And in the meantime, they're discovering and building self-efficacy for the this new lifestyle, mm-hmm. meaning they're exercising one or two hours a day, they're eating a little bit healthier, they may lose some weight, they may realize, wow, I sleep better um, while I'm doing this. Uh, I'm, you know, it's it's positively influencing my work performance, uh, my relationships, and so on and so forth. And they realize, wow, this is what life is like when I sustain healthy behaviors, and and, and they build that confidence. You hope that they continue to do it when they're done. And, and oh my gosh, the feeling they have when they finish mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the hike rim to rim and the high fives. And, you know, there's so many of them who've said, you know, this was one of the coolest things I've ever done. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, I'm, I'm in the best shape I've been in, in years, uh, you know, and, and so many of them, they're like, what's next? What's yeah. next? You know? And so I, th- I think that's, that's an opportunity, but for not, not everyone's going to be interested in those kind of active things, but, but, you know, they might be interested in sports. They might be interested in, in being able to keep up with the grandchildren. They might be interested in making more sales. However, you know, if you burn yourself out mm-hmm. or change careers, you know, then it's going to affect, you know, impact your financial situation. So, yeah. you know, it, so I think that's what we're looking for. You know, I mentioned intrinsic motivation, but it's also about finding one's prioritization. And and the last thing I want to add about, you know, wellness and my philosophy is helping people live less like zombies. <laughs> that's a good point. And live less like zombies. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy, you know, that there's been so many movies out there mm-hmm. on zombies. And so the, the students really respond well to that analogy. They understand zombie culture. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And other than the eating flesh part. (laughs) uh, So, you know, like you just see so many people walking around, staring at their screens, not engaging with the world. Yeah. And if you can get get up in the morning full of zest and vigor and life and just feel compelled and excited to start your day. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and you truly feel good about who you are and where you're at and who you're spending time with, I think that's one of the best metrics of wellness. You know, mm-hmm. they say it's really hard to measure wellness, but you know, if, if, you, if you're excited to tackle the day, I, I would say you're well, you're, yeah. you're, you're thriving, you're resilient. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're getting beat up by things, if you're unhappy, if you're isolated, um, if you don't have a fulfilling job, if you're not sleeping well, if you're not effectively managing a disease, you're likely going to wake up in the morning feeling like crap and not mm-hmm. wanting to do X, Y, Z for the day. Mm-hmm. So I think that's just a, that's a pretty strong 
kind of anecdotal metric for for wellness and living less like zombies you know like people are spending less time outdoors Mm -hmm. Uh, they're more socially isolated than they've ever been we're more physically unhappy than we've ever ever been we're more sedentary i mean i could continue on down the list we we are beginning to act like zombies or robots or whatever you want to use as a metaphor yeah and so you know, how do we get people to live with more zest, more enthusiasm, um, to to pop up and in and shine, so yeah. to speak? You know, yeah. And that's such a that is so it it's so fu- it's fun to talk about, but it's such there it's loaded with so many different things. You know, like people connected to their screens. And I just read an incredible book called Zucked about Facebook brain hacking us and the algorithms to just basically their equivocality reduction mechanism is controlling how we're thinking and that ends up like ruining national elections which ruin our culture no i don't i don't get it. <laughs> i don't want to get too deep there but you know so so if we're a lot you know and like you i think it's brilliant what you want to do with like fishing as as an activity and connect people with passion and so there is the physical part of it that is underestimated but also and i've been reading a lot lately too about neeks and this dutch concept of basically like doing nothing and how that improves creativity and health. So the, so fishing and you can tell me if I'm wrong, I haven't fished actively in a long time, but what I remember loving about fishing was the stillness and then the, like the quiet times in between all of the activity. So I love catching fish, but I also loved the stillness and the quiet where I can just think. And for me now as a, as a, as an adult, I, that was one of the biggest reasons why I gravitated towards long distance running after I was done playing soccer and choosing to do 50 mile and 50 Ks and things like that. I, I wanted the accomplishment, absolutely. That you have to want that in order to even think about doing it. Yeah. But what I loved about it was the, the souls and the mental journey that it took you on to get through all of it, to get through the end and, and all of the friends and all the people I've met and that do it, that is a common experience. It can't just be the physical part because you're going to hate how you feel and you have to learn how to get through that. But the mental journey you can go on and, and how do you choose to do that? Whether you're listening to music or um, a couple of friends of mine, they listen to podcasts and books while they're running and it just takes them to a place where they're just in the, in that flow like we oftentimes talk about flow and wellness. And so for you and being out on the water, it's completely flow. It's you've, you've, you're, it's connecting your soul to the activity to where you no longer are, you're thinking about the activity, but it's not draining you. It's actively helping you in, in pushing you to do better. And that's like for, you know, for athletes, we, that's an easy concept because you know what it's like to be in a game where everything just is smooth and it's, it feels good and you're just playing out of your mind and you're not really thinking about it. You're just doing it, you know, but how do we connect that to an everyday activity for someone so that they're rewarded by the experience? And then, like you said, the health factors come like health will come if you have your passion right? and the well and the whole concept of wellness will come a lot easier if you're connected to that passion. Yeah, and, and and so I think the the challenge is how do we help individuals explore the world, mm-hmm. explore the opportunities, explore what's available. How do we expose them 
two activities to develop a passion. You know, you mentioned social media. I think the one thing I'm really frustrated about with social media is, and I fall victim to this too, you know, looking, trying, not just trying to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak, mm-hmm. regarding, you know, like who has the biggest house or the fastest car, mm-hmm. but looking at the accomplishments that people are posting um, and the bright, shiny things and the lifestyles that they portray, real or not, mm-hmm. and then thinking, yeah, I want that. <laughs> or I want to one-up that. Mm-hmm. Or... Or, you know, I think that could be me or Mm -hmm. I want to be that. So now, you know, I, I, I've, I've reflected and I have a pretty good understanding of who I am and I know my identity and I, and I know what my goals are and I know what my priorities are in life. But think of individuals who might be younger and aren't quite sure who they are, what they want to be yet or what they want to do. Mm -hmm. And they start to see these ideas and they just start picking and choosing and formulating based on what they see. Right. Um, so again, that's zombie-like, right. right? You know, you just, you see something and you try to do it and you mm-hmm. mimic it. Um, so I, I think that's a challenge. Rather than just seeing and thinking you want that, how do you help people explore, explore by doing? Right. And, and then discover things. You have to try a variety of things, right? And, and how, do they, how are individuals exposed to those variety of things? Especially if parents perceive that the neighborhoods aren't safe and they don't want their kids outside, if schools are being cut to the point where they take fewer field trips, if universities are, state universities are being cut where there's less study abroad opportunities and less opportunities for uh, field trips, if there's just less experiential learning, mm-hmm. um, then it's going to be challenging for for people to discover and explore. Mm-hmm. And and I know there's movements in outdoor education to really um, kind of foster that exploration. Uh, there's just you know there's some major challenges and barriers to help uh, youth and people who really have less opportunity to explore mm-hmm. to, to allow them to explore. Yeah. How do we enable that? And, and that kind of comes back to, we're circling around a little bit to the social determinants of health, you mm-hmm. know, and health equity. And maybe what it's about is opportunity equity, really, uh, the, the opportunity to explore mm-hmm. um, through means that are authentic, you know, not, you know, just a, a teacher forcing someone to go when they don't really want to go. Yeah. How do we, how do we have, how do we empower people to truly want to get out and explore the world? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not, and, not just like through, uh, and I see this too. People grab their cell phones. Sorry to interrupt you yeah. there. No. Yeah. Uh, and they get to a destination. It's just like, I just want to, I want to show the world that I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know? And I see it like when I first used to go to the Grand Canyon, it was, um, you know, most people holding like an SLR, you know, like a, a big camera and mm-hmm. just getting a picture with friends and family or by themselves. And then, and then there was a period of time where the selfie sticks just exploded. Oh, I, 
And and then everyone is fighting over, you know, the best place on the rim on the wall to get a selfie of either, you know, obviously themselves or you sure. know, with their family. And 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 now it's to the point where everyone's just fighting for like the best picture they can get so they can post and share it rather than authentically being there and exploring the canyon and the geography and time with each other and and so again that's that's about that's part of that metaphor of the zombies yeah you know, how can you be more authentically engaged be real be present yeah be know? present i think right. is the key because social media for all the benefits of us having the opportunity to connect and share information it removes a lot of context from how that's happening and then the image of it becomes the value of it and that's not that's different than the experience and the presence. So like you said, like how many people struggle with what they see other people doing or engaging in or buying or having, and then they think to themselves, Oh gosh, I really want that. And then, and, but that becomes not just like, Oh, I want that as a, as like a feeling, but it becomes, Oh, and then I'm going to start scrolling now. How present am I in my life? Why am I not enjoying the life I have? If I put my phone down, how come I can't be happy with what I have right now? Like that, I feel like there's, that is a huge issue and that it's exacerbated or it, it, it has evolved over time because of social media and the lack of, like you said, authenticity and being present is more critical than usually the health determinants or the health risk. It's, I think we're, what we're dealing with is a, is that presence of who we are and are we sure? And, and for young people, that means we need to create better safe distance from the social media outputs or talk to them in a way so that they have a really good understanding of what social media really is and make sure that they're that they're not forming their identity through the 17 things that all these other friends are doing because ultimately that's going to lead to a lot of misery and a lot of ill fated decisions and issues and, and isolation and, you know, all these things because our, we've been getting our dopamine kicks from looking at so much media that we haven't lived in the actual life we have, or have gone through the experience of being outdoors and doing other things that don't involve a selfie stick. It's great that you want to document that you're there, but what's the point of being there? Is the point of being there learning or is it to get the selfie? You know, those are critical things that we could probably spend hours talking about. Yeah. And so, you know, one of the things that's a tough nut to crack is, you know, we we're hoping to infuse like family consumer sciences mm-hmm. and family relations and social sociology and social components into the programs for health and wellness. And, and we know that so many of these determinants are interactive, they're all integrated, they all influence, but how can we make it very practical? Mm-hmm. Meaning, how can we work with parents to help them appropriately manage screen time and cell phone use? Mm-hmm. How can we help set boundaries? How do we help them empower their kids to explore? You know, if it's not TV, then what? Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost like we have to train them on how to facilitate play. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, there are classes for child life specialists called therapeutic play. Um, and, and maybe, yeah, I mean, just 
maybe that's the future is it, it seems it seems like it should be obvious you know but how to facilitate play that promotes connection mm-hmm. authenticity um being present creativity um, creativity there you go yeah um growing together exploring together um, enriching your lives, enriching your lifestyles, building self-efficacy for healthy living. Um, so some of it can be for health, but that does that shouldn't be the focus. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of like selling wellness. If you haven't kind of heard it from me, it's been implied. We for the longest time we've tried to promote it as a wellness program. Yeah, and it doesn't. A lot of people don't get excited about it unless there's an incentive. Mm-hmm. So how do you promote it as, as something that people want or are interested in and just have wellness kind of be on the, on the backstage? Yeah. And, and, and that's the same thing with parents. Like, how do we not say do this because it'll help your kid's health? Well, they're like, well, we just need to get food on the table, some of them. And this, mm-hmm. um, we just want them to be safe and we want them to learn and grow and be effective adults, right? They might not be worried about a chronic disease that develops at the age of mm-hmm. 50 or 60, you know? Right. So, you know, what can we, how can we leverage what they really want for their child in, in when you promote a, an activity? Mm-hmm. Like when, if you promote a, a specific type or method of playing or an at-home activity, how can you promote it if, if it's not diabetes prevention, mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, that's, I think that's a problem we run into in, and, and I, I'm sure there are other fields where it's happening, but we know in wellness. So, and you, t- you mentioned it too, like there's, there's this, there's this push to make sure everything is being able is to prove it by your data. And then there's arguments about what that really does mean. So what kind of data are we talking about and and how are we going to um, affirm the results of some kind of analysis? And then as we trickle down into how we impact people's lives, like at, at the level of, especially working with kids, oftentimes grants are going to fund things that have nuts and bolts and trinkets and things behind it rather than ultimately just experience. Like I don't see too many grants out there that are saying, well, we just want kids to experience something in the, in a pursuit that they enjoy. So let's have a pursuit program and every kid can pick what they want to do. And we'll have health coaches on available to help them go through that intrinsic motivation, like coach them to do what they love to do. And the only real data point is, are they, did they do it and did they like it? Like, it'd be really nice to see, and maybe there is a grant like that. I haven't seen that yet. I see a lot of getting, you know, foods into schools, books into hands. Again, we're still fighting the, that's that's an awareness, that's a public health initiative, a mindful, you know, mindfulness of where money goes so I can tie it to these 16 kids got this book, okay, but, what do we, where, where are we really growing the opportunity to be present in an experience that will help them change their lives? Like how, there's not too many things out there that fund that. And maybe that's one of those gaps that we need to close in the future as well. Yeah. And there, there are just so many 
exciting opportunities for wellness to expand. And um, I, I think the challenge, if I could just shift gears a little bit, oh, yeah. the challenge for wellness is, you know, there's also this perception that the wellness world or field should shift to well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, there are the medical industry views wellness as fluff, you know, like maybe alternative uh, therapies. Mm-hmm. And, and so what we're trying to do is build a wellness thread into the curriculum of all health-related programs. So, you know, there's the phrase holistic health, you know, um, ultimately we're trying to help future health professionals, you know, like doctors, doctors of physical therapy, nurses, athletic trainers, building that into the curriculum so they have an understanding for what wellness is mm-hmm. and how, you know, there are several dimensions at play and people can be unwell or not healthy due to an interaction of any one of those or all of those. And that life is a journey mm-hmm. and that, you know, people can be healthy for a period of time and then guess what? Life happens. Mm-hmm. And then there's an event. And, you know, how do you manage your new life? And what, and what decisions do you make? And how do you adjust on the fly? And how do you take control? How do you take the reins and move toward a more positive existence or more fulfilling life? Mm-hmm. And and I think that's what's really important and that's a role we're gonna take. And that will help, we think that will help shape the future of wellness because let's face it, if, if, if um, insurance companies are gonna, they kind of drive what the health industry is mm-hmm. by what they absolutely yeah by by what they'll fund. So the majority of people see traditional medicine uh, health experts, and and so if those health experts say wellness is fluff or don't believe in the term wellness, then I don't think the future of wellness will ever change, and I mm-hmm. I, I think it could just be heading toward a downward spiral. Mm -hmm. And the other thing too is, if you search wellness with a Google search, you know, and this comes down to analytics and Google's really dialed this in, algorithms, (laughs) yeah. Um, But I mean, for me, uh, when I search, and I I used to do this also with our students and and workshop participants, uh, dog food surprisingly enough, would be like number one or number two search <laughs> result. And um, so, you, you know, you, you search for wellness and you get such a variety. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's, we don't really have one strong unified definition. There's su- such a variety of components included in wellness. Um, it's really tough to promote and uh, it's a diverse field and the medical industry doesn't view it as um, as impactful as it could be. Mm-hmm. So those those are the challenges. Um, and then, you know, wellness has been such a strong component of uh, our institutional legacy at the University of Wisconsin Stevens Point, and it's it's reaching a, a point where we're really curious to see will the field or industry change to well-being do we want to see or do we want to drive 
Yeah. Do we really want to drive the industry and, and sustain that wellness? Mm-hmm. And we have a, you know, we've mentioned it. We have a rich history of kind of being, in Stephen's point, known somewhat as the birthplace of wellness. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we don't want to do a disservice to that rich history or mm-hmm. any of the originators of wellness. We really want to sustain that. However, you know, we're just hoping there's there's traction. We mm-hmm. can do what we can. We want to drive. We want to take the driver's seat. But if it, you know, if, if it doesn't take off, if it doesn't explode, we, we, it's the challenge is, is then what? Mm-hmm. You know, if nothing else, it would be great to get the the health industry, the medical industry, to realize the concepts of wellness. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. Would you agree to that? And yeah, I mean, I think, and I think, yeah, the your program is smart in in your leadership and in going, okay, so taking a step back and recognizing that what is really going to be the the key interest for others is something along the lines of health coaching per se. So you're inviting medical field people into into that world of be better at that in, at that interview process. So, you know, for a lot of health tradition, you know, in the medical field is patient comes in, sits down, you go through data, um, collect some blood pressure, answer a few questions, and then the doctor comes in. But what if the entry point was to talk a little bit more about your life and what you're doing and the goals that you have and the numbers are part of this entire whole person perspective and that requires a skill set of that requires health coaching as a skill set for most most health professionals that they lack. So if you even could just get the medical field to spend a lot of time getting health coaching training, it will move a lot of different needles in a, in a really positive direction. And ultimately, doctors, the the medical doctor level they're still going to be entrenched in the medical practices of what they do. But if every layer underneath them is wellness focused, then they'll be doing their job better because the prevention and the lifestyle management would have happened better in better ways prior to getting to their beds or, you know, their surgical rooms, which uh, again are the most costly of medical ventures anyway. And reason why health insurance costs are so high and all, you know, don't want to spend time talking about that, but I mean, if if the prevention was more about health coach, you know, a pursuit of of healthy living rather than than just healthy living, and what does health mean? And here are your four indicators, you know, blood pressure, BMI, glucose, and okay, those that's great, that's really good information. But if someone's unfulfilled, those numbers are going to be secondary and they're going to continue to be, they're going to continue to get worse if we're not talking about living a better life and finding your passion, living through your pursuit, feeling accomplished at your job, feeling accomplished as a parent or a friend or um, diving into an activity that you love that you can spend time and be mentally fulfilled by. We know from the research of people that do that, that it improves health outcomes. So if we can get the medical community to accept those facts in a better way and rebuild their their entry level, those access point level of how they're treating the patient, we very well might get somewhere. Yeah, and I agree. And it's not just the medical industry. Right. Uh, the fitness industry mm-hmm. as well, which 
you know, you, there are a lot of people who might not go to their annual physical. What's the data like? 50% of men, yeah. 40% of women. Don't Even a little or, less than 50%. Okay. Uh, but they might have a personal trainer. Right. Or they might um, go to a chiropractor. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, outside the medical industry, even, you know, fitness industry, uh, the social work mm-hmm. field, um, you know, psychology, if they all have that, that wellness mindset, mm-hmm. that would be so outstanding and you're you're absolutely right like for example uh what we're doing right now is we're while we're in negotiations we're very close to completing a partnership with the national wellness institute to create a health and wellness coaching certificate um and what's really cool is our, our university is also developing a new DPT program. Mm-hmm. So we'll have the doctor of physical therapy. We'll have this coaching program. We have a master's of athletic training. We have several other grad programs. You know, I, I can't list them all, but the point is they're all very interested in wellness and they're mm-hmm. very interested in their professionals gaining the coaching skills. Mm-hmm. So many of them will be required to take some of the courses included in that health and wellness coaching certificate. That's excellent. Because in, in rural areas, especially, the, the doctor of physical therapy, the chiropractors, they're, they receive more patient contact or client contact than anyone Absolutely. in the community. And they're mm-hmm. asked to do more than just uh, rehab a, um, a knee, for example. Mm-hmm. Or just to adjust um, certain components of, of the spine. You mm-hmm. know, they're they're asked to cover nutrition, give tips on exercise, to help manage stress. To, yeah, they're running wellness programs at right, some, in right. some places. The, the therapist on site is really your wellness professional. Yep, that also does therapy. <laughs> yeah. So um, you know, we again, we want to we want to drive the wellness thread for several um, professional programs and and hope that you know the the, the world and other industries respond mm-hmm. um, and it, and if they don't then we'll adapt you know how it is like, mm-hmm. just like industry right <laughs> you you got to be responsive to needs and you need to adapt and right now we we've you know in health and wellness we've formed an advisory board mm-hmm. of professionals in the field and we ask them you know where is the field heading uh what are the needs how can we adapt how can we improve how can we enhance um and and that's what we want to do to stay current and, yeah. and to address the needs and and so what we're we're really doing a, a in-depth review of the future of wellness mm-hmm. and the future of well-being and the future of holistic health and healthy lifestyles and all those other descriptors of of you know what we're discussing today. Yeah, well, and I, I definitely want to give you um, a compliment with regards to that and in, in the department there um, for all of the negative things that are often shot towards academic settings right now. You know, under our current political state, like what you and the key is you know, our, our colleges preparing professionals. And so that's a big question that's always been there, but I, I really appreciate as a graduate and, you know, and being part of your advisory group was, it was refreshing that you had invited a diverse group of professionals, which showed the, 
the real diversity of what wellness people are doing and where wellness is entrenched in different settings and then ask for feedback about what what do we do what is the future and gather that information and tie the program to the graduates and the business community in ways that all academic departments departments really should be doing and that will help grow like you said, you know, change maybe courses or change experience of the learning experience and make connections to different settings. And it may provide an internship at a site that you had never had had one before, but now you're going to be able to place people in an environment that makes sense for them. And just the opportunity is great. So I wanted to make sure um, for any listeners out there too that care, like that was a brilliant step on the part of your program. And, 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 and I was very happy to see that you did that. And that's, those are things that give me confidence in the field that the professionals that are going to go through and get the training are, are also tied to the results of this work. And when they graduate, they're going to understand what the work environment may look like better than maybe years ago, previous graduates had. So excellent on that end. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for uh, participating. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it just seems like so many industries are, are cyclical, mm-hmm. you know, there things cycle out for a while and cycle back in and, and, you know, there's sometimes there's power to staying the course mm-hmm. and that's where we're at right now with wellness. We're staying the course, you know, resilience is exploding, mm-hmm. but you know, the folks who are doing trainings on resilience, it sounds and looks and feels a lot like wellness. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, um, so yeah. I mean, you building resilience. You're you're helping people live well to flourish. To, exactly. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> and that's been a conversation for how long in in wellness, but right. now it's being discovered elsewhere. And yep. so, yeah. And so maybe that's more part of the promotion and the empowerment mm-hmm. is is meeting people where they're at. Exactly. And, and leveraging trends in in um descriptors mm-hmm. you know whatever you want to call it and if resilience is the tidal wave then hop on it to help people be well <laughs> right because that's the end result is, exactly is to helping more people live well exactly well you're you're getting close to heading to canada you got any are there any last things that we want to throw out here what do you what are you listening to? <laughs> What's your favorite road trip song? Or are you so engrossed in the conversation of your friends that time flies by without any need for your perfect road trip music? But um, any any other, any last pieces of wellness wisdom or fishing wisdom that you can drop here? <laughs> you ever seen the movie Tommy Boy? Yes, I have. <laughs> where, they, where they go on that lo- long road trip in the... <laughs> And there's highs and lows with the music. <laughs> yeah. And they're crying and yeah. laughing. Yeah. So I don't think we reached that level. <laughs> but uh, yeah, definitely, um, you know, we like to use satellite radio a little bit. And then uh, we like to tune into the local stations. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> so it's a mix, you know. And, and so a lot of country in the summer. It's just kind of chill, you know, a lot of, it's the perfect time for country right, music. <laughs> right. Um, but like, just like on the road, when we're fishing, you know, when there's a lull mm-hmm. and you need a little pick me up, I'm, I'm going to ACDC. <laughs> and that's why when I discovered your podcast yeah. title, I was like, I uh. know exactly where you got that, you know? And, yep. 
And uh, yeah, so I we love our, our fire up music and it happens to be <laughs> like, you know, right along the same genre of ACDC when we really need to get ourselves amped up. And there are periods, you know, after five or six hours where the, the sun can kind of beat you down a little mm-hmm. bit and the fresh air after a while you get a little tired and you just got to keep chucking baits, you know, <laughs> and same thing on the road, you know, there are period of time where you, you get a little... Uh, tired and run down and the the road can get you and you know um the other the other thing is some coffee well absolutely we're gonna we'll probably hit up a couple cafes and get some good coffee on the way keep you ready for your your last supper activities when you get there tonight yeah and i'm excited but i gotta tell you i mean this conversation's been awesome but i think i got a text here um, yeah they're ready for you they're ready Uh, yeah yeah, they're they're probably waiting outside my garage Corey, come on come on stop talking (laughs) it's time for us to go well, get to the musky hunt. I, if you'll have me again, this is fun. I'd do it again. Sometime. Yeah, I was trying to grab Bill too, so we could so we could do a half wellness, half outdoors. Because Bill's Bill Kepke's are he's the he's the expert for the outdoors. I have my limited knowledge of your form of outdoors, <laughs> different than my form. But um, so yeah, we'll look to get you back here soon. I would love to do a segment on the Grand Canyon. That yeah, that's a journey. I know I've you, you know, you led those trips and I know people that were on the trips that you've led and I've heard some of the stories and it's amazing. And that's a, that's a part I've been to Arizona. I've been to Colorado. I haven't been to the grand Canyon. So I've been like bouncing around New Mexico, Utah, Colorado, and, but I haven't been to the grand Canyon. That's one of the things it's my, on my bucket list eventually go to, but I would love to be, I would love to experience the hiking of it. I'd love to go and see it, but I kind of want to dive in and hike and do rim to rim, get the full experience of what it's like to do that. Yeah, so I've I've probably been, I mean, there there are a lot of people who've done more than this. And Mm -hmm. this isn't me bragging, just sharing my experience. Uh, I've probably hiked rim to rim about 25 times. I think I've led about 12 to 15 groups. And early when I was in my college days, uh, in mid 20s, I went rim to rim to rim. Yeah. In a day, which is like an ultra marathon with an elevation change of 30,000 feet. That's crazy. But but I don't want to have another session to have a break session. So <laughs> what, I really, what I want to do is share the stories of resilience. And yeah. The diverse encounters that um, often are, are the result of visiting the Grand Canyon National mm-hmm. Park. Yeah. From wildlife, I have two or three stories of interesting encounters with wildlife. One was actually life-threatening. Two encounters with heat exhaustion, narrowing heat stroke, spending a few extra nights in the canyon, people who struggled with mental health. Um, Yeah, having to come to the rescue of people. Yeah. You know, so it, it it's truly an awesome place, but sometimes, you know, people lack preparation or common mm-hmm. sense or things happen, mm-hmm. you know? And and so, yeah, I, I think we definitely need to do another session where I could share some yeah. of those. Otherwise, they'll start getting into the stories now. <laughs> <laughs> and your friends are right? gonna be really upset. They're not gonna let you listen to ACDC this trip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, thank you again. We'll definitely have, we'll have a part two, Grand Canyon Chronicles here on the highway to well. Thanks for coming, Corey. Thanks for having me. Yep.